Jarrett, you're back. Hi. Hi, Jackie. Thanks for having me again. I am very excited. This time, we're only going to watch one movie that oh, I have not God. seen instead of three. <laughs> instead of all, all three original Star Wars back-to-back? Yes. this is That was where, a lot. It was a lot. Uh, but I do think you kind of you loved it. I know you did. But this really time, did. I'm hoping that I pick the right person for this movie because I know you like scary, spooky horror movies. So I was hoping that I could share with you that I've never seen the very scary movie, Ghostbusters. Oh, but who, who are you going to call? Ghostbusters! I do know well, that. So, you know that much, at least. Yeah. You know, like, I love a lot of old movies, and Ghostbusters is one that I feel like still holds up. Like, it might be a tiny bit too much to say that, that every line is perfect and expertly crafted, but but maybe not. I, I don't oh know. Oh my I'm, goodness. This is, like, easily one of the best comedies ever, and like, yeah, it, it's not scary at all. It is kind of ghost-themed, but it is definitely a comedy, and, and a lot of people, like, at their very, very best. Well, that's really good because as the Halloween episode, I wanted to go with scary, but not too scary. So I'm going to go sit with my Halloween candy because we can't go trick-or-treating because of COVID and just watch this movie, I guess. (laughs) That sounds great. Welcome to Jackie Watches Stuff. This is a podcast chronicling my cinematic quest to finally watch the movies I probably should have already seen. And I'm bringing my friends along with me. Jarrett, I have survived. I was slimed, but I'm good now. And marshmallowed, I guess. (laughs) So much liquid on me now, I guess. So in the movie, that that, that scene that you're talking about, um, they drop 50 gallons of, I guess, like marshmallow fluff on the guy. No, do you know what it is? What? Shaving cream. Oh, that's worse. (laughs) But yes, I survived being slimed. Uh, This was quite a movie. It was not what I was expecting. Well, okay, so that's a good place to start. Like, I know this is your your Halloween episode. What were you expecting? I really thought this was going to be a hokey, kind of a hokey movie, like just mostly goofs and funny instead of like, not to say it was a serious movie, but it was a, it was more serious than I thought it was going to be. Because I think all I really, because all I really knew about this was like Bill Murray like laser beam vacuum thing and like the theme song which has like teens going ghostbusters i kind of thought you know it was like oh this is just like a dip a dip like we're gonna haunt some or find some ghosts which i've seen the like green globby things before and those kind of look cartoonish and silly so so it wasn't what you were expecting but did you like it Oh, I loved it. This was so much fun. I should have said Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. Ooh, (laughs) spooky. Um, Yeah, this was great. This is a really solid, like, in my opinion, solid Halloween movie because it's light and fun, but it does have some, like, you know, spooky spooks going on in it. We've got some minor, like, possession of by evil spirits going on. There's books that float. The whole slime thing is new to me. When I think about ghosts, I don't think about slime, but, you know, I learned a thing. Yeah. 
this is this is from the era of practical effects where you just had to do all that stuff for real. Like I like to think about how many of these old classics, if they, I mean, a lot of them do get remakes, but if they were doing a remake today, how much of this cool stuff would have been outsourced to CGI? Like even right. that that opening scene in the library, I was reading about, you know, just what it took from a from a crew standpoint to get all of those. Uh, cards in the card catalog to like just randomly fly out to get all the books to float back and forth like you know this is people with like wires like passing things Mm -hmm. between them doing this for real and you know it it looks real because it is real and I, i feel like a lot of times modern cgi still doesn't really look as real as it could and and it's it's good to see some of these old movies where they were really take taking practical effects as its own kind of a craft yeah, I actually didn't even I meant to look into that and I forgot. How did they make the books fly off the shelves and the cards fly out of the different cabinets? So they basically built a library set um with a narrow hallway that the camera could go down, but the the sides and the top were completely open. So um in the card catalog, they just had uh, copper piping that they hooked up to an air compressor and literally just blew air until all the cl- uh, cards like shot themselves out. Mm-hmm. Um and then they had the the books on wires and they were just, you know, very daintily reeling them back and forth um between the shelves, which oh. I, still looks cool. That looks really cool. I realize that before we get too deep into the plot of this movie, I owe you a 30-second recap. Oh, my God, you do. Okay. Goodness. I got so excited about the effects and Halloween that I completely forgot. (laughs) You know what to do. Can you time me? I do, yes. Give me a a moment. All right. And three, two, one, go. Okay, so spooky stuff is happening in the library, and it's all over New York City, and like, oh man, think it's going to be ghost stuff. So we meet Peter and Ray and Egon, and they decide, because they get kicked off of a campus because their grant was defunded, to go make do a business hunting ghosts. So they meet this woman, Dana, and she thinks there's a ghost. Then all these other creepy things happen, and they realize, oh my gosh, there actually is this evil ghost. And then they accidentally make the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man attack the city, but the Ghostbusters save the day, and you should call them. Oh man, twenty nine and a half seconds. (laughs) Thank you. That was that was impressive. That was twenty nine and a half seconds, and and completely accurate. I mean, that was that was the whole movie. The whole movie is like spooky stuff happens. I did read, and I forgot um, who it was. I believe it might have been Dan Aykroyd described this when he pitched it as ghost janitors in New York City. Which I'm like, that's it. Like, that's my 30 second recap. <laughs> like, they're, they're cleaning up the town from the paranormal. So it might interest you to know that Dan Aykroyd's first concept for this script um, was meant to be set in the future. And he was thinking of like a hypothetical future where a ghost-busting-like service existed in every town alongside like their police and fire and EMS. Um, and that this was sort of like a, a hapless group that was kind of getting into it new. Um, but the director said, no, that's going to be way too much money. It's going to take place in present day New York. Wow. Could you imagine having like to call like the cockroach exterminator and your ghost exterminator. Right. Like they, they even have some of the old storyboards for it online and it, it looks oh. completely different. I mean, obviously, you know, in the future, the set design would be different, but mm-hmm. I, I really like this, you know, set kind of in what was the present day. It just, it, it made everything feel a lot more real, which I think if they had gone for like kind of a, a hokey futuristic thing that, that would have been lost. Yeah. It definitely would have made it more cheesy. And again, it wasn't cheesy. I thought it was going to be with these like, like little globs of ghosts that like eat everything around them. Like I really thought this was just going to be a comedy, but 
it was a little serious. You know, we had a little love story going on. We had a lot of um, non-consensual like touching and, and things like that, which is stellar Bill Murray. Well done. Um, we'll get to that. But yeah, there was, there was some depth <laughs> to this plot, shockingly. Right. And we had a Stay Puff Marshmallow Man terrorize a town. What could be better? Nothing. This is this is like I, I still feel like this this movie is perfect on almost every level. Like a lot of the jokes still landed for me. A lot of it is just kind of the chemistry and, and the banter between these guys. Like mm-hmm. it probably isn't going to surprise you know that they they had a script obviously, but almost every scene had at least one or two ad libbed lines because all of the mains were really accomplished comedians and mm-hmm. just you know thought of something in the moment and went with it. And a lot of things they just sort of kept in. Like mm-hmm. um, you already talked about the library scene, but but the part where the bookcase falls over and and Bill Murray looks at Dan Eric and is like, has this ever happened to you? He's like, no. All of that was made up. The bookcase wasn't supposed to fall over. Someone wow. knocked into it and they just kind of went with it and it was gold. And there's wow. so many great lines and moments throughout this movie that like they just went with it and the director's like, yep, we're going to keep that in. Let's move on. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, because most, if not all of them, the main characters were like SNL alum. So like they all had that experience of improv and acting like on their feet basically on their toes which is super cool so right and i i i can't think of as many movies where just the chemistry between all the lead actors is is so spot on as this one i mean mm-hmm. just like you they're they're completely different personalities they all just gel perfectly you really couldn't do this movie with with one of them missing you kind of need all of those perspectives um and i'm including ernie hudson in this obviously oh good for you because i was reading some hate on him which is a bummer what did that, you read? Well, that role was supposed to go to Eddie Murphy and they right. wanted him to be like super comical, which is actually part of the reason why we don't meet him until like halfway through the movie is because they were trying to get Eddie Murphy, but they were shooting. And I guess he was tied up in another franchise. And so he couldn't do Ghostbusters as well. Um which is why they had to hire someone else for the role. And some people were saying like, oh, he's not as funny as he should be, or like he wasn't as good as like the other three. But I mean, I can go down this path now. I was planning on saving for it when we finally meet him. But the like uncomfortable, like, look, we hired a black guy, like moment was (laughs) really, you know, again, 2020 hits a little bit different, huh? Like, don't love that. Well, like, so yeah, they, they originally wanted Eddie Murphy for this and, uh, Beverly Hills cop was what he bowed out of this to do. And, you know, that, that was, that kind of really helped cement his career. So career wise, that wasn't a bad move for him, but mm-hmm. like, yeah, in the original draft, the Winston character, um, was, was one of the trio, like the original trio was supposed to be Dan Aykroyd as himself. They really wanted, uh, John Belushi, who was a great friend of Dan Aykroyd's, uh, to be the Bill Murray character. Um, and then they wanted Eddie Murphy kind of rounding out the trio and Mm -hmm. Eddie Murphy was supposed to be the non-scientist, but they gave him like a ton of backstory. He was supposed to be this, this ex air force demolitions expert, also a contractor, also a paramedic and sort of you know, he was supposed to really lend a lot to the team in the way of like non-scientific expertise. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you got to say like poor Ernie Hudson, because like he reads the original script. He loves it. He even agreed to do the movie for half of his original rate wow. because he was so excited about the character. And then literally the day before they're going to start shooting, they pass out the new scripts and his role has been cut dramatically. Mm. And the studio, they really liked Bill Murray. Bill Murray's a, a big movie star at this point. They didn't think they were going to land him, and they were kind of like, well, 
we like this as Eddie Murphy, but who's this guy? Let's let's make Bill Murray's part a lot bigger and just take mm-hmm. it out of of Ernie's part. And so, yeah, I, I think you know he, he he's on record as saying that he was he he loved this project, he loved filming it, he loved being part of it. But like he's always been a little bit bitter that the role wasn't what it was originally supposed to be, and he was just sort of there. Interesting. I didn't realize that the role got cut. It felt to me like, oh, we just got to throw him in and let's just try to like weave him in where we can and give him lines where we can. That's really interesting. Yeah. Well, I always kind of wondered because he's just sort of there like, well, why did they even need him? Why didn't they just cut him out? Because like the other three guys do really well on their own. But mm-hmm. I was reading that they, they really still wanted the character because he was supposed to represent the everyman. He's a non-scientist. And there's, you know, the scene where I know we're skipping ahead, but the scene where they go to the mayor's office and kind of make their case when he's like, I'm just a regular guy. And I got to tell you, all this stuff is real. Like that, that's supposed to carry a lot of weight because he's he's not a scientist. He's he is just a regular guy and he has come to believe all of this. Oh, interesting. See, that's something I like didn't even notice. Like that it wasn't that heavy of a line to me. Like he was just kinda like, Yeah, I'm with them. You know, I I'm helping them out. <laughs> interesting. Um, but I did read, speaking of of casting, and then we can actually move on to the plot, that um it was uh Peter was supposed to be played by Michael Keaton. Um and they were like, "This will be great." And then they met Bill Murray, and they were like, "Never mind." <laughs> so. Right. Well, and, and then and then they also considered Michael Keaton for Egon as well. Oh. Um, and uh, Harold uh, Ramis, who plays Egon, uh, does have a performing background. He kind of came up through the the sketch comedy scene, like the same as Dan Aykroyd and, and John Belushi. Um, but before this, he was always more of a writer and really worked with Dan Aykroyd on the script for this. And it came time to cast Egon, and he's got the performing chops. You can just tell, like, he, it's not his favorite thing. But he apparently insisted on playing Egon because he 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 wrote it perfectly for himself. And he said, like, I'm the only one who can do it justice. And I, I couldn't imagine another guy being Egon. I think some of the other people they were considering, they were looking at uh, Christopher Walken, John Lithgow, uh, Christopher Lloyd, Jeff Goldblum, and Michael Keaton. You know, any of one would have been great. But I, I just I love his his take on this role and and what he brings to it. Yeah, I agree. I think he I read a note that he like made the choice never to smile in that role. And it's like, perfect, because I can't picture him smiling or being too funny. Like he was still funny. But he's like, I'm the serious scientist. And this is serious science. And like, I need parts of your brain tissue, please. Like, that right. Type of or, or the scene where, where Janine is desperately trying to flirt with him. It's like, so what do you like to do? He's like, I collect spores, molds, and yes. uh, spores, molds, and fungus. It's just so completely good. straight. Like, yes, this is this is what I do. These are this is factual. This is these, you ask me a question, I'm answering it factually. <laughs> well, let's get into it. I mean, we yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. We, we keep getting no, derailed. this is like it's a great cast. It really is, and I think, look to your point, it does really make this movie. Um, to, truly timeless. I mean, I'm watching it. How many years later? It came out in 1982? Four. 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 Um, and we're watching it in 2020, and it's still very, very good um, and doesn't feel super dated, except the weird advances on women, but we'll get there. Um, yep. <laughs> so uh, when I was watching this again, I'm like, ooh, Jackie is going to have some thoughts on it. It feels bad, right? It just feels bad. <laughs> Um, so, uh, speaking of things that feel bad, I, I will call it out. The, the movie basically opens aside from this spooky thing happening in the library. It opens with 
Peter, um, this scientist professor doing like an ESP test where he's basically flirting with the very attractive girl and is like, oh, you could come by later tonight and like wink, wink. And then Ray shows up and like kind of cock blocks him. And he's like, I was hanging out. Like, It's like, I was trying to hit on this student. Thank you very much. Like, come on, dude. So just wanted to throw that out there. It was very uncomfortable. I always feel bad for the guy who who is getting shocked, and and I, yeah. I love that they include the scene where he accidentally guesses the card right mm-hmm. one time, just like by chance. And Peter's like, "Oh no, that's going to really yeah. ruin this this mood I'm trying to create here." Yeah, no, I can't. Sorry, you got it wrong again, man. Crazy. <laughs> um, they get called, or they decide to go over to the library because they hear some things are going on. Because Ray hears that it's happening, he like brings all his tech stuff over. Um, they ask the librarian a lot of questions, like if she uses drugs or if she's menstruating, which again, come on, come on. And it, it, and it makes the head male librarian just super uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, come on. I, I love his stuff. What does that have to do with it? <laughs> Literally nothing. <laughs> um, so they go through the library and then we, I mean, you and I have talked these scenes to death, but they find a like librarian ghost and they try to attack it which is ray's plan and it does not work (laughs) get her (laughs) they find though this is the first this is the introduction to this gross like mucus that is everywhere and it just looks like clear slime is the only way i could describe it and egot is like super pumped and he's like get a sample and you just watch bill murray like scraping it into the petri dish it's very very funny um, and you got to think about the the librarians that have to come over behind them and clean up all of the goo from their precious, precious books. Yes, because he, he's white. Bill Murray like wipes it all over the books and stuff. And there is a scene or not even the scene. It's the scene where he's trying to shake the slime like off his hand. And it you can't plan this. It shot back and hit him in the eye. And he's like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, that wasn't planned. Like he actually hit himself in the eye with this slime stuff. Which is very funny. Um, Mm -hmm. We find out that their grant is terminated because seemingly like the head of the department at whatever university they're teaching at um, is like, your stuff is bullshit. Basically, like, this is stupid. You're basically not a doctor. You're not a scientist. Like, get out. And (laughs) Bill Murray gets drunk and is like, hey, Ray, we're going to go into business together hunting ghosts. Let's do it. (laughs) Super fun. I mean, and that always sits so like close to home from like the number of times that I've gotten drunk and like made my friend triple mortgage his house. Like, you know, that it's it's too many to count. Like, that's a very natural it's thing. A, to do. I was gonna say, as we heard, as uh, Peter says, everyone has a third mortgage these days. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and then Egon like just just you know very studiously calculates the interest percentage of, of, of the first five years. Ray is already like having a panic attack and yeah. like like what's the least helpful thing? Yeah, it's gonna cost you ninety thousand dollars in interest over the first yeah. couple of years, and that's in 1984 money that's not even in today i know that's something that um my boyfriend pointed out when they later when they charged the hotel like oh it's gonna be five thousand dollars he even said like in 1984 money that was like a lot of money to talk about so so um, i'm embarrassed i actually did the conversion and oh my god five thousand dollars in 1984 is gonna be about twelve thousand five hundred dollars today which is yeah that is cr- – I did not expect it to be that high. Wow. Now I understand the reaction. I mean, I knew it was definitely inflated, but wow. That's more than double. Yeah. How crazy. Wow. What a world. 
Um, They go looking for, speaking of mortgages, they go and look for a place to serve as HQ and they find a place that both Peter and Egon are like, this is awful. We shouldn't be in here. It's very unsafe. And then Ray jumps down a pole and is like, there's a pole. I love this place. We're buying it. (laughs) I love it. I have no chill. Do you take cash money? How much (laughs) cash money will this be? And the realtor is just standing there with a smirk on her face like, yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) So it might interest you to know that that, that this is actually a real firehouse. Um, I did see that, yeah. The movie takes place in New York, so all of the exterior shots um, take place in New York, but all of the interior shots, uh, they they filmed out in Los Angeles. So um, for the firehouse, they actually used two firehouses. The exterior is a real firehouse. Um, that's near, I think, like Tribeca, I think. And, and you know, to this day, people still flock to it to take pictures. Um, and then in Los Angeles, they, they rented a separate firehouse to shoot all of the interior firehouse scenes. Wow. I, I did see that it was a real spot, but I didn't realize it was in two different locations, basically. So that's cool. It looked really neat. Even the, even the terrible inside <laughs> looked really, really cool. Um, well, then we cut over and we meet Dana Sigourney Reaver. And we we see her and Rick Moranis interact for the first of many times. And they're just incredible. Like, yeah. talk about the guys, like the Ghostbuster team having awesome chemistry. Like, the two of them are great. Rick Moranis, how do you, how did Sigourney Weaver not crack up during just interacting with him on every single Rick, scene? Rick Moranis is a treasure. And would it interest you to know that, that he originally was not cast in the movie? Um, I did see this. And that is, it is Thank you, like movie gods, for making it right. work because this movie would not do well without Rick Moranis. No, so like, do, do you know the whole story of what happened and, and how it came to be, Rick Moranis? I, I only saw that John Candy was originally cast in this role, and he wanted to make this character like a German dude with like killer dogs, which is so not this role. Right. No, and and, and I, I mentioned seeing some of the original storyboards, and you can tell like they. This guy was John Candy. John Candy was in this role for a long time, but yeah, like he wouldn't give up this this German accent and like his many many dogs, and so they just like fired him, and then they brought in Rick Moranis, who did just the most amazing job ever. I yeah. I think he's actually my single favorite character in this whole movie because you, you can't love him; he's just so earnest. No, he's like, and I mean, watching him walk away from Dana towards his door and then always getting locked out, hilarious, but his sweatpants are pulled up. Like he's probably giving himself a wedgie to get them to rise so high above his ankles. Like it's amazing. Amazing. Rick Moranis. Beautiful. And I, we did just get to see him in Spaceballs this season too for Jackie Watch stuff, which is great. <laughs> so, um, so yes, we see Dana go in her apartment. Long, long story short it's fucking haunted. Like eggs are popping out of their carton and cooking on the counter. The, the fridge is a portal to hell. And this was all kind of framed with a commercial on her television that was like, we're the ghostbusters and we're ready to believe you, which is very funny. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So interesting fact about that commercial. So, so they, the movie is in theaters. The promo that they did, they played that exact commercial in its entirety on real network TV. Um, and, and the phone number was real. And I, I read something that like during um, the first six weeks that this was out in theaters, um, that phone number averaged about a thousand live calls per hour every day for six weeks of people just like wanting to call to see what would happen. And it just, it was a recorded message that kind of told you to go out and see the movie. But I, I like that they film that for the the movie and they use it on real TV. It's just like, if, as if it was a real thing. 
Oh my gosh, that's such a good idea. Talk about unique marketing strategy. Call this number. So, Listen to Bill so Murray it, talk. <laughs> so in the scene where, where Dana returns from the grocery store and like the eggs start popping, did, did you catch the little bit of foreshadowing that they give you? Hmm. I wonder if I can get this right. The only thing that I... I th- now that I'm remembering it, is they said, like, we're ready to believe you, and then they didn't believe her. But are you talking about, not in the commercial, are you talking about the bag of Stay Puff marshmallows on the I counter? am. The, the bag of Stay Puff marshmallows, yep. New York's favorite marshmallow. Yes, of course. I had to look up, are Stay Puff marshmallows real? They were not at the time of the movie, but someone decided to actually make them in, like, 2010. I don't know if you can still buy them, but... They are there. I'm sure I've I've seen them in the grocery stores every now and then and again. Oh, I've see I've never seen it. He just remind me reminds me too much of the Pillsbury Doughboy. So, which I think is what they were going for. Oh yeah, totally. I, I always thought of them as a cross section of like the Michelin Man and the the Pillsbury Doughboy. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Who joins um, the Navy apparently? Wait, what? Because no, that's a joke. He's because he's in that little sailor outfit and. Oh, I was like, I'm sorry. What did I miss? <laughs> What and you know when they're fighting him at the end, not to like skip ahead, but like he's like, hey, maybe we're going about this all wrong. He's a sailor. What if we just get him laid? Then he'll be all happy. It'll be okay. That was a beautiful line. I have to imagine that one was ad libbed. I really have to. It absolutely was. It must be. Oh my gosh, amazing. Um, but because her whole house is haunted and her fridge is a portal to like some other plane, she goes to Ghostbusters and they do really terrible tests on her. And Egon is like, she's telling the truth or at least she thinks she's telling the truth <laughs> which is terrible um peter is not sly and says i'm gonna go back to her apartment to check her out which is you know just sleazy and awesome um he uses a terribly silly machine in her apartment that just like seems to pump air just like shoot air out into the apartment and she even calls him out like what are you doing and he's like oh i just it's technical like <laughs> it's a bs piece of equipment but in real life that that is a real instrument that people use to detect for gas leaks and i i think it just had the look they were going for and so they included it (laughs) i had no idea that was a real thing i truly thought it was just like a box with that pump thing that you use when you're getting your blood pressure taken and like a hose that squirts air into into the air i guess (laughs) (laughs) so you want to talk about the sleaziness that takes place uh when when he's he's checking her out go ahead (laughs) jared well and so like you know, like, like it, it's supposed to be, you know, P- Peter is all over her, just, you know, really not subtle, trying to, like, get her out. Um, and, you know, it's, it's supposed to be cute because these are the two leads. But j- just kind of put yourself in her space for a second. Like, right. this is akin to you calling a plumber because your toilet is broken and the plumber getting super handsy with you for no reason out yep. of nowhere. Yep. And this is what, like, you know, moms of women and hopefully men too, like tell their kids all the time that like stranger danger is a thing. And like, you know, like a plumber comes over, like be careful and whatever, like it's a real thing. And yeah, totally agree. But she kind of just like brushes it off and shrugs her shoulder. And she's like, no, I'm not going to kiss you. Bye. And like pushes him out the door, which is again, not great. (laughs) to, To go back to what you were talking about in star Wars, when we talked about watching these movies through the lens of me too, Super bad, super super bad. He's he, he's he's a borderline predator. I mean, there, there's he no is. other way to say it. Well, we saw him trying to get with a student, which I mean, like, 
I don't know. I don't want to say seemed consensual because it could be that she didn't really pick up what he was putting down because she was like, oh, I'll come back. Like, you really think I have ESP? Um, but then he starts hitting on his client that he met two minutes ago. <sighs> it's awful. I, th- I think Janine is literally the only female character that we get to know who he doesn't flirt with. Yeah. And he even, well, then he does some sexist things and he's like, go type something, which I mean. <laughs> We're paying you for this. Yeah, which I, I guess like isn't the most sexist way to address that because like literally she's the person that types the thing. So it's like, hopefully he would say that if it was a male secretary, but still. Yeah. In any case. So yeah, she, they go back to her apartment. He doesn't find anything. He also gets rejected. And so they just kind of leave it at that. But then they. They finally get one. She's like Janine screams, we got one and like hits the alarm and it's so exciting. And they get all suited up and they almost kill a uh, housekeeping woman. No big deal. They light a bunch of shit on fire. No big deal. Like (laughs) just another day in Ghostbusters HQ. I, one of my favorites is, is that scene of them in the elevator riding up to the floor uh, where, where the ghost is and, you know, it's like we we we've never tested this equipment. These are basically unlicensed nuclear accelerators on our ba- on our backs. And Dan Aykroyd turns his on, and you know, there's like three feet of space in the elevator, and they scooch over like four inches, yeah, as so if that's, that's going to make a difference <laughs> yeah. in a, in, a, in a in a blast. Absolutely, yeah, super funny. Because um, yeah, they go so, they get called to find this ghost. So when they when they set that card on fire, watching this again, I I for the first time noticed a detail here that I never noticed before. Where they, they, they hit the cart, they set it on fire, the cleaning lady ducks for cover, and they all apologize, like, oh man, that, that was bad. Um, and they're talking about their next move, and in the background, yep. you can see the cleaning lady get on her yep. hand and knees and try and Windex the fire out. Yes, that is truly, and I, I only watched this movie once, that is all I looked at, this scene. I can't even like truly tell you like what was exactly happening in this scene, because all I was doing was watching this woman in the background trying to like spray bottle a small flame to put it out it was beautiful <laughs> like so beautiful it, it will not surprise you know that, that most of the hotel scenes here are are a heavy degree of ad lib or just they they went they had the, the props ready to go and they just kind of went with it and it was kind of gold but i yeah. I, th- I read that was sort of like an ad lib on the cleaning lady's part like she saw the you know it was real fire but it was contained but mm-hmm. she was like i'm gonna try and put that out with this spray bottle and you know she's in the back they don't really talk about it but like Good for you, cleaning lady. I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah, that was a beautiful little like side detail that I am happy that I saw the first time I watched it. Super. So, what, what did you think of of Slimer? So again, this is like I knew that I knew Slimer. I I recognized this ghost. I knew he was associated with the franchise. Um, I seeing him just like scarf all the food down, like. Okay, fun. Like it seemed, it's kind of felt funny to me and not like concerning, which was weird because just before we watched like Dana open up her fridge to like some weird portal, but now we've got like this kind of funny ghost who's just hungry and not that, in my opinion, that scary. Um, right. Well, so the, the the original draft of this script was a lot scarier and a lot darker, and and you know going back to like who are the people who could have played the other roles. Um, 
there's a lot of like chatter that the role of Peter Vakeman was originally offered to Chevy Chase and he like famously turned it down and he comes back as saying like to be fair the version that I looked like was like the super adult version but the director wanted they, they didn't like little kids loved this movie and they didn't expect that but mm-hmm. they were trying to tone it down a little bit because they at least wanted like teenage audiences to be able to go and see it and not make it like an explicit like adult movie yeah it feels like yeah this is like when you're 10 and you see this movie and you think you're so cool because you watch scary movies. Like that's right. what that feels like to me. So so yeah. spe- speaking of Slimer, like do, do you know the backstory of, of Slimer and what he represents? I do not. So this is a really sweet thing. But like um, the original movie was, was Dan Aykroyd um, coming up with this concept of like, like a ghost elimination service. And he was doing it with his buddy, John Belushi. Uh, the comedian, who mm. was the the very first original guy that was supposed to play Peter Vakeman. Um, he dies before they even started writing the script, and that's why they brought on Harold Ramis to help him write the script. But uh, you know, originally this was supposed to be like, like a John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd collaboration. So the character of Slimer is meant to be an homage to John Belushi. Like, like John, one of his most famous roles is a, he's a party guy in Animal House who just eats a bunch of food and is just kind of gross and destroys everything. And so um, uh, Dan Aykroyd gives the direction to the puppeteers, like, make this like that scene in Animal House where John Belushi is just scarfing as much food as he can find. And he did that for his friend. And actually, it's funny, the, the name of Slimer, like, like the ghost is unnamed in the movie. Um, the, the crew on set, they, they kept referring to him as Onion Head because he was apparently supposed to smell really bad. And it wasn't until later when they were coming out with the animated cartoon series and all the toys that they said, we've got to give this guy a name. And so they came up with the name Slimer because Bill Murray ad-libbed the line, uh, he slimed me. So like, you know, oh. ad-lib from Bill Murray, and it becomes one of like the most like like famous and iconic characters in, in movie, this, this little green guy. Oh, well, that makes sense. I mean, it's an easy name. Interesting. I didn't realize he had so much history. I've learned a thing. <laughs> well, they catch Slimer in the ballroom, which is a whole scene that I feel like if we were to dissect it, it would be a whole other podcast. But basically, right. they they destroy this ballroom. Um, and a major important point is we learn that you cannot cross the streams. Do not cross the streams. Do not cross the streams. Um, they catch it in their trap. And they charge the hotel $5,000, even though I'm pretty sure they have significantly more in damages to pay off. But, you know, it's fine. <laughs> no, it's, it's totally fine. And, and again, one of my other favorite moments is where, like, you know, this is their first time out of the gate, first time testing the equipment. They, they've never caught a ghost before. And it's like, we don't really have a pricing structure figured out. And, like, Egon is kind of tapping his nose to kind of say it's $4,000. It's $1,000. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, then you have Peter who's like, well, we're doing this discount and, you know, we're going to give it to you for for way less. And it's like, no, this is your first job, but that's okay. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Then we have a Ghostbusters montage where we hear the theme song. And this is kind of like the Rocky montage, like typical, right? Like somebody's training up to get buff. Like these are the boys like getting new equipment, getting some like cool outfits that they all match in for whatever reason. Um, There's a weird ghost sex scene with Ray that is odd to me. 
that yeah. happened. <laughs> there, there's a lot to unpack here. So it might interest you to know that, that that whole montage scene was their very, very first day of filming in New York. And they didn't get any permits. They didn't get any security clearance. They basically just had these guys in costume run up and down these different areas. So the, the shock, surprise looks of people – who are, who are looking at them, those are real people not knowing yeah. what is going on. And they just like, they wanted to get that kind of honest reaction. That is hilarious. I mean, if I saw Bill Murray and crew run past me dressed like that, I would be like, what movie is this? Like what's happening in this movie? So you kind of already answered this, but, but how, how did the ghost BJ scene make you feel? Uh, uncomfortable confused i think what they were i think the point is like that they were trying to get at was like this is taking over their lives it's even in ray's dreams and like sex is funny like ha ha ha. (laughs) he's so obsessed with ghosts that even he like has sex dreams about ghosts like that's that's what i got from it it was a giggle but it was kind of like okay (laughs) like I remember watching this for the first time as like a nine-year-old boy and like, I don't know exactly what's happening. I have an idea that it is not appropriate for me and I'm always going to be a little (laughs) bit uncomfortable, but. I think nine-year-old Jackie would not have understood this. Just been like weird. I don't know why he's like crossing his eyes. I don't get it. (laughs) Yeah. Like maybe he's thinking, maybe he's confused. Yeah. He's definitely confused. Oh man! So like so, you know that that scene, and then all of the swearing and the smoking they do, and this this movie is rated PG, which is hilarious. No, you want to know why? Well, I don't know why it's rated PG, but here's what happened to me, and I meant to say this at the beginning. I went to go watch this film on, um, I'll just call them out on Freeform, and it was an hour and forty one minutes long. And my Mm. boyfriend was like, "Wait a minute! I thought we looked it up, and it's like an hour and forty seven. And I'm like, "Yeah, whatever." And he looked it up, and it turns out that there is a clean cut, which is six minutes shorter than the actual film. And I could not, for the life of me, find what was removed. I can only imagine that scene was one of them. And maybe the, like, Sigourney Weaver, where she's like, I want you inside me, where Bill Murray has a great line where he's like, there's already two people in there, which I was, like, dying (laughs) laughing. Um, But maybe some of those scenes. But they do, in the clean version, they edit, obviously, a lot of the swearing, and they edit those um, those lines, obviously, but that wouldn't cut for time. I cannot figure out what they cut. What six minutes is missing from the clean version? They they didn't really cut like any scenes in their entirety. They just kind of shortened some things. So I, I I watched this again for this podcast on Hulu, and I noticed that the scene with the ghost BJ was was quite a bit shorter. Like like there wasn't that much extra. Like it wasn't explicit, but you you get to see what Ray's underwear looks like. There there's a lot more of the eye movements and kind of things like that. So I think they they shortened that to enough to be like. This was a scene in the film, and now we're moving on. Moving on, interesting. Oh, well, so so like another thing. So like like th- this movie was rated PG, which seems ridiculous. But did you know that the PG thirteen rating did not come into existence until a month after this movie was already in theaters? And I believe it was for was it for Jaws, or did I make that up? And it was R rated. I had this conversation about Jaws. That, that, that was was Jaws R rated. Jaws was actually rated PG, I believe. And I'm going to well, take all that back in a second. Hey. It, it might have been because in in the the early 80s, um, you know, there there was, you know, G rating for for cartoons for kids. PG was sort of like this is okay for everything. And then they went right to R, which is adults only. Um, and then there were a bunch of movies in the 80s like specifically 
Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom that has a lot of brutality and death and child slavery and gremlins, which is kind of creepy, that are sort of like, you know, this is not like an adult movie per se, but it's way more complicated um, than 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 like a little kid should be watching. And so Mm -hmm. like there had been this sort of push in the movie industry for a while to kind of come up with a halfway point, which is like, you know, something for for older kids. Mm -hmm. Um, But it didn't come out until a month after this movie premiered. And so like if if this had been a month on the other side, this would have definitely been a PG-13 movie. But for for, for now and forever, this movie is rated PG. Yep, as is, and this is coming back to me now, as is Jaws, because Jaws was out in the 70s where these ratings also didn't exist. Um, So when you think about it, if Jaws was PG, I think this one's also PG. It, it, it definitely is. And I, I saw some some video of, uh, of uh, Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd where they're talking about like they're promoting the movies that comes out. And I remember them being really excited that they got their PG rating. Like like the director worked really hard to tone a lot of these things down to get it because they again, they didn't expect little kids to really be into this, but they thought like they at least wanted to get like the high school crowd that they thought would come out and watch mm-hmm, this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm and they definitely did. Um but yeah, so after the montage, we hire Winston. Yay, diversity. We already addressed that problem. Um, and then we see the EPA show up and is like, this is the big bad guy, like the evil villain that <laughs> isn't the ghost, I guess, that like is part of this movie, which is interesting generally. But basically, he just shows up and he's like, I don't think what you're doing here is legit. And I think you're doing something wrong for the environment. Um, and that's like sowing the seeds for later for him to shut off the um like container thing and blah 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 so we just needed to right. plant him in the middle of the movie basically um but then we oh, we cut over <laughs> and i'm just thinking about it we cut over to the apartments again and dana is trying to sneak past lewis's apartment because he's throwing a big party and he can't, like <laughs> And she's going to go on a date with Peter later that night. And he just gets so sad. And You forgot uh, about my party? You, you like planned a date? And she's like, I can't. Okay. And then he's like, well, he can come too, I guess. <laughs> like, oh, no. <laughs> read the room, Lewis. <laughs> you can't um, read the room. Oh, so bad. Uh, but yeah, so this is right before the, the date. And then the big scene where she gets captured, which I was not expecting these hands to like come out of her chair and like basically like molest her a little bit and kind of shove her like what was the fridge, but these like steps that we see that come back later. But she gets like attacked. Yeah, and 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 one of the demon hands absolutely cops a feel. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. And I actually scream that out loud. Like, why is it grabbing her breast? Like, that's not part of this movie. I don't like this game. Um, <laughs> so yeah, she gets captured, and then basically two seconds later, we see this. And I don't even know what they're called, but it, I think they kind of called them dogs throughout the movie. But this dog ghost thing. Um, shows up in Lewis's apartment and basically like takes over Lewis's body and he starts running around like Central Park trying to avoid this thing. And the CGI of the dog like is terrible. Awful. But we give it we give it a pass because this is this is a long right. time ago. I let it happen. It looked mad fake, but like, you know, it was better than what I could ever do. So I'm not That's gonna true. judge it. 
how about how about that scene where he's running away and he like gets backed into a corner at this very expensive country <laughs> club restaurant and he's just you know basically being like like molested and taken over by this dog and all the diners could not care less. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, they don't care. Um, and when he gets taken over, it's like he's just kind of a crazy dude and running around uh, the around Central Park, and it it doesn't really matter. And Peter comes to the apartments and kind of sees all of the destruction and starts talking to Dana and very calmly is like, oh, you were overtaken by Zool. Cool, 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 cool. Um, great. How about I talk to Dana now? Nope. Doesn't, doesn't work. Um, Dana starts floating, which I learned was built by her, by Sigourney Weaver, like in a full body cast. And there was a pole. I truly thought that it was going to be like hidden, under her dress kind of thing. So they pushed her up, but she was actually like suspended from the wall behind her by like a pole, if that makes any sense. Like, so we, the camera right. and was like shooting right down the pole, which is really freaking cool. I did not think that's how that scene was shot. And, no. And, and it's really cool. And I, I really like this scene because I, I feel like this is one of the very few redeeming moments for Bill Murray's character where, this woman is clearly in distress. Like, like he gets an invitation. He's like, you know what? No, mm-hmm. I would not feel good about this. I'm going to draw the line here. And, yeah. and there is a line somewhere and that that's worth something. It's just not in the right place, but it's okay. We, at least there's a line. <laughs> um, so he's kind of like, all right, I got to go call the boys and like figure this out. Meanwhile, the EPA shows up at Ghostbusters HQ and is like, shut this whole thing off. And, <laughs> They and at this time, I totally forgot that the police bring like possessed Rick Moranis to Ghostbusters, and they're like, "Figure this out, please." <laughs> like, good luck. Um, and so, by and the time- I, I so much love that line. Like Janine's looking at the cops. All right, it's like, all right, picking up or dropping off. Like, like who would ever say that ever? It's like dropping off. Like, oh, they must do this a lot. They must have a certain reputation with the, uh, yeah, the city hospitals. Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, so Nick, Rick Moranis kills it in this whole section. Um, he is in like duress, basically. And when the EPA shows up, he is like sniffing everyone or he's like mimicking people. And like if somebody's pointing, he also tries to point and figure out like, what are we pointing at? It is very, very funny. Um he and reaches a moment of spiritual understanding with the horse who's randomly pulling yes, carriages oh in God. Central Park. It's so good. It is so, so good. Um, and the EPA dude, the you know evil villain, is like, I am shutting down all of these machines right now. And all of them are like, this will literally explode and it will be all your fault. And they're like, nope, I'm shutting it down anyway. And it explodes and it's all his fault. And there's a ton of like ghost energy coming out of HQ and all the ghosts are free. And then Dana starts freaking out. So we're like, Oh shit, they're connected because you know, she's hyperventilating on her bed or whatever. She also causes a huge explosion in her apartment. No big deal. It like blows up. It's a very nice apartment, but she's okay. She's fine. Or at least part of her is. Yeah. I mean, Zool Dana is fine. And Dana Dana's fine, as we learn later. But Dana Dana's not really here right now. Please leave a message kind of vibes. <laughs> um, when the EPA guys get them arrested and go to jail, the scene cracked me up because they like have all these maps with them of the infrastructure of Dana's apartment building. And like all the other crooks are kind of like, oh, this is interesting. Like there's nothing Crowding else around. to do. 
<laughs> yeah, so it, it's like either this jail already had those maps there, which would have been weird, or they were allowed to bring them in, which is just as weird. Also weird. Yeah, both of them are very weird. Um, I oh, learned... oh, 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 oh. Okay, I, this is probably what you're about to say. You're talking about talk about the prison? Yes. I, okay, I love you... this fact. It's actually, it feels like something you should talk about, because this is much more up your alley. <laughs> So, so yeah, Dan Aykroyd wrote this script in, in, in a large part because he super believes in ghosts and the spiritual or uh, the, 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 the afterlife and, and all of that spiritual stuff and, and you know wanted to sort of bring all of these feelings into the mainstream. And they're looking for a place to film this prison scene, and they get a real uh, abandoned prison in New York that is supposed to be haunted allegedly and dan Aykroyd apparently hears this and is like yes this is where we're going to film this and apparently like during the shoot the crew kept hearing weird unexplained noises and when they were looking at like the footage after the day shoot the film itself had these weird scratch marks on it for no reason and people are like let's not go back to the prison and so they they, i think that scene was supposed to be longer but they they cut it after a day because like no one wanted to go back there I, I did read that and I think it's hilarious that they were just like make they're making a film about spirits and ghosts and they're too freaked out to return to the haunted prison. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um, but yeah, so they don't go back, which is why this is kind of a choppy scene. Uh, and they find out through looking at all these maps, they like conclude that the architecture obviously points to the fact that the architect was trying to cr- to make the building like a way to summon the end of the world, which I will have to rewatch that scene many times to understand the quick logic that they put together. But right. Apparently well, that's it, true. <laughs> it kind of opens up a world of questions where if you are in, in uh, uh, an apocalyptic death cult, it kind of feels like architecture is one of the only fields you can get in because how else are you going to design a building to exact like supernatural specifications? Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like having like a seance circle or like an exorcism, but the biggest possible version, like making right. a giant building that serves as this like beacon for all things paranormal, which if there is one of those buildings out there, I'm terrified because this movie taught me that I don't know if I would survive it, but <laughs> it makes you wonder if, if, if some architecture school somewhere has some elective course on paranormal design, like in, in <sighs> case that's, and that's in case this is what you want to do with your architecture career. I think you and I are going to go back to school and start teaching this. <laughs> <laughs> Except we know nothing about architecture or the, the, the supernatural. We can, learn. we can learn. The pandemic has given all of us so much free time to acquire new skills, Jarrett. So <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, so they figure this out and once they're out of jail, um, Louis, well, I'm sorry, we cut over to Lewis going to Dana's and seeing her in this like incredibly revealing dress because now they're both like haunted spooky spooks taken over and they make out and it was a really weird scene to watch. I'm not going to lie. That was a very weird scene, <laughs> but, very but it was awful. needed. They, they needed that for the transformation. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. So the two, the gatekeeper and the key master are now reunited um, thanks to their human forms uh, and they get pulled. Well, so then the Ghostbusters, we cut back to them. They're pulled out of jail because city hall is like, we need you here now. Um, the EPA shows up, a priest shows up. No big deal. <laughs> like here we are. <laughs> And I do love um, Bill Murray's line when he's talking to the mayor and he said, you will have saved the lives of millions of registered voters, which like, 
in an yes. election year, we are so close to the election right now as we speak. That is quite an interesting line. <laughs> and, and you could totally see him set like, like win the guy over because it's like, yeah, I would save the lives of all the registered voters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And even the priest gives a little nod like, yes, you would. <laughs> right. And, and also the, the other super famous line from this scene is like, it's true, Your Honor. This man has no dick. Yes. Oh, that was so good. Um, to oh, the okay. point where, are you going to say it? I was going to say yeah, it. Yeah, I took the last one, so you take this one. Okay, so the actor whose name I'm forgetting um, that plays the villain EPA dude, whose name William Atherton, which, which, of course, that's his name. Yeah, it sounds very... <laughs> um, unfortunately, and I think I've talked about this on the show before, if not just like with friends, just about um, actors kind of getting typecast but in in life where people think that the human and the actor is the same person as the character they've once played so like i have this problem with john krasinski as jim from the office like i am convinced (laughs) that john krasinski is just like a nice doofy dude and like we know that he is because we've seen him in other in other roles or like in life but anyway long story short is this guy got teased for not having a penis even though we can't prove that technically it has not been confirmed or denied, but in any case, I feel like we can give him the benefit of the doubt on this. Yeah. I think he might come clean and be like, yeah, you know what? It's a thing. And let's not talk about it. Well, and, and and this actor came out later and and said that this, he he actually said this movie ruined his life because he kind of got typecast into playing just super douchey guys. And he said like a couple years after the movie like came and went, some guy randomly went into a bar and sucker punched him just because he hated the character from the movie. And oh my yeah, this, this poor guy is just trying to make it as an actor. That's bizarre and terrifying. I don't like, see, this is why I didn't decide not to become an actress. This was the one reason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the Ghostbusters get the job though. Woohoo! Because they've shoved the EPA guy out because he's the evil villain. So yay, we defeated the first evil villain. Now we have to defeat the ghost. Um, Cut to somehow the entire United States police and military force show up in New York City. Like a normal day. To do absolutely nothing. Literally nothing. They show up to be like, hey, these guys are going to handle it. These four, like, little scientist dudes. They've got it. Um, Peter's loving it because he is a cocky jerk and loves, like, the attention. And he's, like, flirting with all the women. And everyone else is like, hey, bud, we, like, have to go attack a giant ghost. And, like, this is terrifying. Could you maybe help or take this seriously (laughs) at all? (laughs) Um, and then all I wrote in my notes was shit goes down. <laughs> yep. Cause a lot of shit goes down. Uh, they, well, I'm sorry. There's a big like thunderstorm thing happening above like the apartment. And this is seemingly like, oh shit. It's because the key master and the gatekeeper are reunited, but like also the road below just cracks open and they all fall in, but they're totally fine, which to me felt like such a throwaway scene that was probably very expensive right. and complicated to shoot. Oh, man. So, yeah, that that actually wasn't a real road. That was totally interior. They built the whole thing, street buildings, threw in the people on a soundstage, and they, like, cracked it in half. And, like, that always confused me when I was a little kid watching this. Because, like, yeah, okay, this is having – like, the ghost problem is having an effect on the environment, but – 
nothing really happens. And and it was a super expensive scene for them to shoot because they had to build a a street mm-hmm. and and buildings that they could then like tear down. Yeah, or like have a car like tilt into a giant hole. Like it just it felt very weird. But woohoo, they're okay, hooray. Um, but then they have to go into the apartment and climb up all these stairs, which is hilarious. And I all absolutely relate to this. Um, as I was at, I actually had to participate in a stair climb and I had to climb 11 flights of stairs as fast as I could. And it is hard, man. I would just like to give a shout out to all like the firemen and any other first responders that have to climb an incredible amount of stairs quickly. It is freaking hard, like really, really hard. So it was very funny. And I remember reading that like the, those proton pack props weighed something like 60, 70 pounds. Yeah. Um, and so like that's that's a lot to be hauling around. I, I guess that's like equivalent to like firemen carrying uh, uh, all of their gear and the hoses up to like mm-hmm. the top floors of a of Yeah, a absolutely. So like thank you first responders. You guys are awesome. Um, and yeah, that, so all of that like heavy breathing at the top was probably legit <laughs> and like not made <laughs> up. Um, so they, we cut kind of back and forth between these boys trying to climb up the stairs and Dana and Lewis, like c- summoning energy to seemingly like open up a hole in like the space time continuum, maybe like it's, it's still a little unclear, but it's like shit's going down at this point. Um, and then they turn into the demon dog things and the effects are like real crazy town, but oh yeah, it happens. So do, do you know that this is how Sigourney Weaver got the role for this? I did read this, yes. She I think just, we read a lot of the same thing. We probably did. There's a lot of – I don't know how far deep into the wiki you got, but there is a Ghostbusters wiki that's like I should have I, – I didn't allot enough time to be able to go through <laughs> all of it. Um, but yes, yeah, Sigourney Weaver decided like, oh, I'm just going to act out the scene where I turn into a dog and got the role. So. And the director loved like, yep, hire, don't even need to hear anyone else. Yeah. Well, I feel like the, not to like uh, minimize her acting skills, but the main parts of her role in this film was like, look very good in that orange dress and become a Check. dog. <laughs> like those are kind of, and have great acting chops and push Bill Murray away when he tries to hit on her. But like, you know, she did a great job. Yeah, and I, I remember reading like she was something of like a more serious theater actor before this, and and really wanted this role because she wanted to kind of do something a little bit more fun and expand her acting horizons a little bit, which she totally nails. Oh, she yeah, she did great. I think she did a really great job because she had to transition from like I'm just an average girl to like I'm this very sexy minx like ghost thing. So and then a dog. I support and it. And then the dog. Uh, so then we meet Zool for real, uh, and she is like this. She's got bright red eyes and is like all wearing all white, like and short, spiky hair. And we learn oh, I, that I, I have to like, correct you so that the Twitter audience doesn't go nuts. Oh okay. no, I got it wrong. You're right. So go ahead. Zool, Zool is the name of the dog. This is this is Gozer the Gozerian. Yes, I'm so sorry. And Gozer is like the head bitch in charge, basically, and. That's why she's trying to open. Well, she, he, that was like a whole conversation about like, Gozer just takes on whatever form it feels like. And I'm like, damn, like a super sexy, fierce woman right now. Thank you very much. Like she's ready to go. (laughs) And I I feel like every line, every look in this entire scene is like individually iconic in its own right. This is like one of the most like talked about, rewatched, most quoted scenes of all time. Well, is one of the quotes, go get her, Ray. (laughs) 
Yes, I mean, like, like almost every line is quotable, which, you know, and, and that's a callback to their very first jaunt in the library where his big plan for the ghost librarian was like, get her. Um, but, but, you know, the whole, are you a God line, which is, is still amazing. Cause mm-hmm. like, you know, even if you've been like, yeah, like, like, oh no, I, I am also a God. It is good to meet you fellow God. Yes. Hello. I know how God things work. I am a God too. Here's my membership card. Um, and yeah, I also I also that. love that one one of the most quoted lines of all time is is you know Ray if someone asks you if you're a god you say yes but like it, that's quoted always in situations that are completely different and 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 like it only applies to this movie but it is still a memorable awesome awesome line. <laughs> I was gonna say oh it's, it's not used in the common instance of meeting a true evil god I'm confused. <laughs> it happens like, to me all the time. <laughs> Every third day, I have to check about whether yeah. or not I've become a god, and, and this <laughs> line always, you know, kind of brings me back. Oh my goodness! Uh, well, they try to hit Gozer with their uh, their rays, basically, and they can't cross the stream. Um, but it totally fails, and it just makes Gozer stronger. So, ha ha ha! Uh, and then Gozer says, "Choose the destroyer," and they're like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> and she's basically <laughs> saying. Pick your poison. Like, I'm going to ruin all of you, but what do you want it to look like? <laughs> <laughs> which which for, for an evil bad guy is exceedingly generous. It is generous. And I would like to give it up for Gozer because the evil bad guy in this situation in like 99% of films gives the whole rant about how they are going to execute their evil scheme. Gozer was just like, pick your poison. Oh, okay. Doing it. Like there's no time for choosing. We're happy. It's happening. The first thought that I had was the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. It's happening. And I, I always so identify with, uh, with, with Peter Vakeman in this scene where he's like, he understands like, oh my God, if we think anything that we think of is going to destroy us, empty your heads. We got one shot at this. It's like the choice is made. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> but truly, and I, I wrote this down to ask you and I didn't think of my answer yet, but like, if you accidentally thought of something to destroy the earth, what would you think of? Well, like, I, I think that's always going to be a rigged question because, like, my mind would go, like, a fluffy bunny, a mm-hmm. carrot, just some innocuous object. But then that thing is going to appear and destroy you. So there's really not a good answer. And, like, like yeah. you know, Ray really does a disservice to the city because he picks something that's especially hard to clean up. <laughs> you should have thought about that before you were thinking about it, Ray. <laughs> Like he could have picked like a cloud or something that would have just evaporated when they killed. Like, nope, you you, you picked a like you know four ton goop monster. Yeah, and there was I would only imagine that in Ghostbusters two is the opening scene them cleaning the city of all the marshmallow. Or no, like, no, Go- Ghostbusters yeah. two takes place a few years later after like you know uh, the Ghostbusters thing is come and gone, and what are the guys up to now? Got it. I would have loved a deleted scene or a, a bonus scene in the credits of either them having to clean up the city. Or, like, swatting all the bugs that are, like, gathering around the sugary, like, mess that's partially on fire. No, the only thing that the movie gives you is we know that the EPA guy, who has no dick, got especially goopy and dirty. And that's, he got that's, very goopy, yes. And that's all we need. Thing. Ugh, it grosses me out thinking about it. Um, but yeah, so they decide to shoot the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man with their uh, rays, and it sets them on fire. And then the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, while on fire, climbs a building. And somehow this building doesn't fall. It gets exploded in like many a time. There's like fire happening. But this building is still standing, which clearly the structural integrity, whoever this architect was, even though he was trying to summon the end of the earth and succeeded kind of, 
like should be hired to build more structurally sound buildings that don't fall. <laughs> He's probably like a legend in, in the architecture circles. I can only imagine. Um, then Egon comes up, comes up with his like idea. He's like, wait a minute, if we cross the streams, we can reverse all of this. And they cross the streams. And there's a lot of like wink nudge comments here. It's like shorten your stream, lengthen your stream, like a whole thing. So uh, watching yeah. this as, as a young boy for the first time, yeah, th- there, there is a lot of humor that transfers over to practical everyday situations if you're a boy. And um, th- this movie was extra quotable, um, um, I think, for, for younger boys. I can imagine. I actually didn't realize, you know, I find out a lot of like, oh, this is the movie that that quote is from that I recognize. I definitely recognize people saying like, don't cross the streams. And I didn't, I didn't know it was a movie quote. I just kind of thought it was what it sounds like. like. Just really practical life advice. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like almost my yearbook quote. It just feels that practical, basically. <laughs> Uh, but they cross the streams, and it's a good thing instead of a bad thing. And there's a giant marshmallow explosion. Everyone is okay. The three boys are covered in marshmallow, and Peter's like, boop ba doop I only have a little bit on my head. And that really bothered me. <laughs> I, I'm sure like, like Bill Murray negotiated that in his contract. Like, I'm going to get a little bit dirty, but that just looks uncomfortable. Maybe it was like reconciliation because he had to take all that slime all the time, which was probably way more disgusting. So that is a really good point. I hadn't thought about that. Maybe they were like, sorry, we made you slimy and gross. Cause when they were in the hotel and he's like, I got slimed or whatever the, the line is, I know I have to get it perfect. Um, or he slimed me. I'm sorry. That's what he says. He is right. like head to toe in this disgusting stuff. And so I feel like I would pick the shaving cream though over the slime, but whatever. Um, then they're up and they're trying to figure out like what happened to Dana and Lewis. And they're like, Oh crap. Like they are dead because they were these dog things. And the dog things are like carbon at this point, but Nope. All's well. They're okay. The romantic music swells. They make out. Everything's great. The roaring crowd is like, woohoo, you saved the day. None of them have marshmallow on them. And the boys are still covered. And I'm like, this doesn't track at all. And it's it's miraculously daytime again. It was daytime when they yeah. went into the building. It's total pitch black night. And and even if you think like, okay, it took a long time or it's a supernatural darkness, as soon as they beat Gozer, all the crap clears away from the sky and it's still nighttime. And then it's like, mm-hmm. nope, it, it, it's afternoon again. Yeah. So it's, I mean, hey, hey, listeners, here's a behind the scenes trick. It is very clear that they were like, okay, we've only got this crowd for so long during the day. Let's get you guys all covered in marshmallow and like, let's go. So they shot both those scenes in the same day. I bet that would have been a fun job on set to be the guy who was responsible for just caking people in, in marshmallow shaving cream crap. Yeah. Well, what's, and I think about like, I mean, I've listened to plenty of podcasts about um, like creating TV shows or movies and the idea of like consistency and costuming or like where you're standing, like how do you make someone consistently covered in shaving cream, like in a, in a consistent way that it still tracks. I mean, granted there were a lot of scenes in between like us seeing them covered in shaving cream at the top of the apartment all the way on ground level. So whatever. But um, there was a scene where Egon had like, shaving cream coming off his nose where it made it look kind of like a, a witch's nose to keep with the Halloween <laughs> theme. Like it was like a crook's nose kind of thing. It was very funny, but 
That's, I mean, they save the city. I have no idea what Ghostbusters 2 through like 25 have in store, but um, it was, you know, like it's a solid Halloween movie. It was a great way to celebrate Halloween, I think. Do you you think that you'll ever watch this again for like a purpose that is not your podcast? This movie? Um, I think I would watch it again. Like I said, I think this is a fun Halloween flick. Like... I would, I'm sure it exists. And listeners, if you know one, please tweet it at Jackie Watches. Like, I would play the Ghostbusters drinking game. I think that would be very fun because you know it's going to be good and lots of funny moments. Um, But yeah, I think I would watch this again. And I know that you and I talked about like the whole reboot that happened with all the ladies recently. Well, probably not recently. That's unfortunate. I still want to watch it. I love those women. They're great. But I I can see why you wouldn't want to touch this. Like, and I, I think it is interesting that they tried. And I think one of the big, like, reasons that this movie was so good and the newer one failed is because, like, there is a lot of ad-libbing in this movie, but, but uh, Dan Aykroyd um, was really into ghosts and the supernatural. And like, if you notice all of the ghost stuff, all of the scientific jargon was legit. Like they didn't ad lib that. And that kind of gave it a a sense of legitimacy. I think Um, in the new one with, with the ladies, like the entire movie, every scene is basically ad libbed and, and, you know, scientific jargon really doesn't work when you're just kind of throwing random stuff out there. So it just, it Mm kind of, Every scene is kind of like start and stop and start and stop. And it just doesn't really feel cohesive. Um, I actually really like the, the, the sequel. There's a lot of people who didn't, but I watched um, a a lot of the, or a lot of these movies that you do on your podcast when I was a little boy and with this first one, like they didn't really expect that young kids were going to love it. They didn't make it for young kids, but they do the sequel years later and really cash in on that. So they, they make it even more kid friendly and a little bit silly, which some of the diehard fans didn't do. Um, and then before the pandemic, they were coming out with with a, a true Ghostbusters three that was set kind of in the same world as as this movie, kind of different from the the newer remake that they choose to do. And um, that one it was supposed to be written and directed directed by the director of this movie's son 30 oh, years wow. later, which oh I thought goodness. was like a really nice touch. And it's about sort of like the, the kids and the descendants of the Ghostbusters and whatever happened to them and, and, you know, kind of stuff is rearing its head again. So I was really excited about that. And I don't, I, you know, it'll come out eventually, but I, I that's one movie that I, I sort of miss um, during all of the, the, the pandemic stuff that we, we didn't get to see on schedule. Oh man, come on, COVID-19, get your act together. Do it for yeah. Ghostbusters. Yeah, for Ghostbusters. If nothing else, do it for Ghostbusters. Goodness. Well, Jarrett, thank you so much for like fighting ghosts with me. And I'm not afraid of no ghost anymore. Thank you for having me again. Do you know that that's, that's one of the most popular karaoke songs of all time because it takes no musical talent to sing it. And you can kind of just belt it out. Oh, that's super easy. And it will be yeah. my next karaoke song. I love that. I absolutely love that. I think I'm going to go try not to get slimed. That's a weird thing to say. Yeah, (laughs) I'm going to try and not get slimed too. Jackie Watches Stuff is hosted by Jackie Vitrano and produced by me, Sean Flynn. Our guest this week was Jarrett Saya. What a nice guy. I'd like to take a moment to thank our supporters in the Academy on Patreon for their generous, ongoing support of this show. Thanks to Lindsay, and Mick, and Paul, and Brianna, 
Logan, Jarrett, Thomas, Linda, and Missy. Jackie Watches Stuff is made possible by listeners like you. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, consider joining the Academy for a shout-out and other cool benefits. Just visit patreon.com slash jackiewatchesstuff for all the details. You can also support the show by giving us a review on Apple Podcasts or sharing us with your family and friends. Jackie Watches Stuff is available wherever you listen to podcasts or on the web at jackiewatchesstuff.com. You can also send us your thoughts on Ghostbusters on Twitter. We're at Jackie Watches. Thanks for listening, and join us next time when Jackie watches The Princess Bride.